Uh, let's look tonight at the principle of the harvest. As we continue journeying along in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, and we'll be looking tonight at verses 7 through 10. Galatians 6, 7 through 10, the principle of the harvest. Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8 that Jesus is a liar and the father of lies. Uh, it is entirely possible for somebody to be deceived by the evil one. Likewise, it's possible to be deceived by people. You know, there's plenty of scam artists out there, aren't, aren't there? Growing by the day, it seems. And they want nothing more than to steal your identity and to steal your money. Uh, we could even say it's entirely possible to deceive yourself. Thousands live every day deceiving themselves about something in their lives. And you know, theologically, we can be deceived. People can lead us astray. And that's exactly what we've been looking at in the Galatian letter. A group of false teachers, the Judaizers, have come into the Galatian churches and they are deceiving the people that Jesus is not adequate for salvation. They've been saying you need a Jesus plus something else. Salvation, you need to add something to him, and Paul said, that's no gospel at all. That's a false gospel. And so in chapter 3, Paul asked them, who has bewitched you? It's as though the false teachers had cast a spell over the Galatians who were being very naive. They were being deceived. But you know, one thing is for sure, nobody will ever pull the wool over God's eyes. And Paul wants the Galatians to understand that very clearly. God has called us to holy living. God has called us to live by a higher standard than people in the world. In Galatians 5, he's instructed them uh, to walk in the power of the Spirit so that they'll be able to bear the fruit of the Spirit. He warned them that we can walk according to the flesh, and if we do so, we will bear the fruit of the flesh. And if we continue to walk that way as a way of life, if that's the way we have always walked, according to the flesh, bearing the deeds of the flesh, then we need to examine ourselves whether or not we've even been converted in the first place. On the other hand, if we walk in the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit, then there is no law that can condemn us. 
And when we live this way, not only do we show the marks of true conversion, but we, come, we become a blessing to the church family and to others at large. And so two ways are being marked out here, clearly marked out. Two ways, two pathways. There is the path to destruction that the false teachers are traveling and trying to get the Galatians to travel. And there's the path of holiness. Two different pathways with two entirely different ways of living and two entirely different destinations. And so Paul wants the Galatians to understand they've got a choice to make. And it's the same choice that every person today likewise faces. There's the path to destruction and there's the pathway to life. And you know, even for a believer whose eternity is safe and secure, there are decisions that the believer has to make likewise that will affect their testimony while they are on this earth, right? Every day... We are sowing and reaping. We're doing one or the other or both. We're either sowing or reaping or doing both at the same time. As Moses prayed in Psalm 90, we need to pray, God, teach us to number our days that we will live wisely. There is a harvest of life. There's a harvest of, of, of the life <clears throat> and soul that is directly tied to the sowing that we do. Now, I want to give you several different principles tonight. First of all, the principle of the harvest, and principle number one under, under the harvest is that God is not mocked. Write down verse 7, don't be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a person sows, he will also reap. You know, the biggest lie that Satan will ever tell people is that they can live in disobedience to God and everything will be just fine anyway. That's a lie. You know, that's what he told Eve, right? He was telling Eve, Eve, you can get away with it. If you eat of this fruit of this tree that God said don't eat from, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You will see good and evil, you will understand things that you've never understood before. That was the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve. And of course, we know Adam and Eve succumbed to the temptation, and their eyes were opened all right, but they didn't quite get what they were expecting, right? Because again, Satan is a deceiver. And that's the same lie that Satan is weaving today into the hearts of men and women. He's telling us that, that we, will, we will be just fine if we live on our own apart from God's commands and apart from God's word. We'll be free. We'll be enlightened. We'll experience life and freedom. Same line. It's the same line that he told in the garden. And you know, just like it didn't pan out for Adam and Eve, it won't pan out for us either. Paul points out here, God is not mocked. God sees everything about our life. Psalm 10, verse 11 says, of the person who buys into Satan's lies. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. 
And you know, this age is convinced, this age is full of people who are convinced about that. This generation is kind of like the little boy in Sunday school that the Sunday school teacher asked the class, who would you rather be, the rich man or Lazarus? And the little boy spoke up and said, well, I'd rather be the rich man while I'm living this life, but when I die, I'd rather be Lazarus. And you know, a lot of people are like that. They think you can have it both ways. But the problem is, uh, what Paul is saying here, you can't. God is not mocked. Now, the word mocked here uh, really had to do with a snout, like an animal's snout or a pig's snout. It, 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 it reflected that. And... Uh, what Paul is making a reference to here is thumbing our nose at God. People who want to thumb their nose at God. And they think they'll get away with it. But again, they won't. You know, like Paul, uh, like King David said in Psalm 139, where is God? Where is God? He's everywhere. David asked, you know, if I had a mind to try to get away from God, if I went as far as I could go this direction, God, you're there. If I went as far as I could go that direction, God, you're there. If I went as far as I could go that direction or that direction, any direction, God, you're there. You hem me in. You're always with me. God's ever-present. And God's omniscient. He knows everything. And so nobody will ever mock God. Nobody will ever successfully thumb their nose at God and get away with it. A life of disobedience will not end up in blessing. You know, the Bible says sin might be sweet for a season, but the season quickly changes that. A second principle, principle two of the harvest. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also what? Reap. This is the first law of investments. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. The harvest is always a product of the seed. A man reaps exactly what he sows. Now, if we think of it in terms of the world of farming, you know, you don't sow corn and get tomatoes. You don't sow okra and green beans come up from those okra beans. You get exactly what you sow. Job 4.8 says, According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble likewise harvest the same. What kind of sowing and reaping do human beings do? Well, Paul has been telling us in chapter 5 that some sow according to the flesh. And let's, let's read those verses again where he says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurities, uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, 
Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Are there people sowing to the flesh? You better believe it. And that's the fruit of, that's the ugly fruit of their lives. And people who sow that way as a way of life, he's not talking about a Christian who might just temporarily stumble at some point in his or her life. He's talking about people who live this way, who sow according to the flesh. That's their lifestyle. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. They've never been converted. They've never been born again. They've never become a new creation in Christ. But you know, Christians can also sow to the flesh. And if Christians sow to the flesh, they reap corruption. Corruption there refers to decay. A Christian doesn't lose his or her salvation, but your testimony sure can become rotten, right? And you can also lose your joy. And that's what happened to David after his sin with Bathsheba. I mean, just read Psalm 32 sometimes. When David was trying to keep his sin covered, he, he reflects in Psalm 32 about what a miserable individual he was. And then, of course, Nathan confronted him. He confessed his sin, went before God in confession, Psalm 51. And one of the things he said in Psalm 51 was, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. There may be some Christians here tonight who have lost the joy of their salvation because they've been sowing to the flesh. If we sow to the Spirit, Paul talks here that we reap everlasting life. We enjoy a life full of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, folks, this is a principle that is so true to all of life. Have you noticed in your relationships what happens if you sow love and joy and peace? What do you tend to get back? The same. In a marriage, you encourage your spouse you edify them, you love them, you pray for them, you say kind things. And guess what? You're usually going to get back the same, the same type treatment. But if you're critical of your spouse and backbiting and always negative, tearing them down, you're going you're gonna to do damage to the relationship. And, and if it continues, maybe even irreparable damage. You know, it seems like such a common sense principle. But as a pastor, I can tell you, I run into families all the time where this principle is being violated. And people think for months and even years that they can get away with it. Sometimes husbands will treat their wives like garbage for years. And then she's fed up and had enough. And they're sitting in my office in front of me. Or it might be her treating him that way. Young people will try to deceive their parents and lie to their parents. And, and then they resent it when their parents don't trust them. 
when their parents start asking them all kinds of questions about where they've been, what they've been doing. But you see, it's, it's what they've been sowing. They've been sowing distrust with their parents in dishonesty. Folks, we need to look at our lives. What are we sowing all around us in relationships? We see the reality of this principle of sowing and reaping. You reap what you sow. And it's the same in your relationship with the Lord. Principle three of the harvest. We reap more than we sow. In verse eight, he says, because one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. We see how things are intensified there. You sow to the flesh and you reap what? Corruption. You sow to the Spirit and you reap what? Eternal life. The harvest is intensified. You don't just reap things of the flesh. You, you reap things of the flesh, yes, but you reap more. You reap corruption. You don't just reap things of the Spirit. Yes, you reap those things, but you reap more. You reap eternal life. If a farmer sows a kernel of corn, he doesn't just get back another kernel, a one-to-one -one ratio. He reaps a stalk that will usually have about two good ears on it, right? You sow a few seeds of Beans. You get vines with tons of beans on them. It's intensified. And it works in both ways, the negative and the positive. A lot of times we, we read these verses and think only in the negative. You know, how many times have we witnessed something bad happen to somebody and everybody says, well, you know what they say, you reap what you sow, and they're referring to this principle in the negative, but it's positive too. Sow good seeds, reap a good harvest, reap good relationships, good work habits, good marriages, good finances, a growing spiritual life. Likewise here with the principle of reaping more than you sow, you know, it, it, can, it can be negative. So immorality, reap un, unwanted pregnancy or a disease. So financial irresponsibility, you might reap bankruptcy. But again, same, same thing here. It's in the positive as well. So a little bit of love with those around you, get a whole lot back. So friendship, get lots of friends. Some people want to know why they don't have any friends at all. But the Bible says, the Bible says not not just the old Ann Landers column in the newspaper. The Bible says if you want to have friends, what do you have to do? You have to show yourself friendly. You got to be a friend. Some people are, woe is me. I don't have any friends. If they look at their life, they're not really a friend to anybody themselves. Of course they don't have any friends. Folks, God is trying to tell his people something in these verses. Just like Jesus said in Luke 6, 38. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So if you want kindness, so kindness. You want love, so love. You want friendship, so friendship. You want understanding and compassion? Give the sign. 
You reap what you sow. Now, there's another principle of investments. Principle four. You reap later than you sow. Verse nine, he says, let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. You know, a farmer doesn't sow on Monday and reap his harvest on Tuesday. You don't put a thousand dollars today into the stock market and by tomorrow you've made ten thousand. It takes time. And this is where people mess up with God. They'll do things and think, ha, I got away with it. The preacher said, he'd been saying I won't get away with it. I got away with it. I got away with it. Well, for now, maybe you've gotten away with it. As somebody wisely said one time, the wheels of God may grind slowly, but be not deceived, they grind surely. You know, in the Old Testament, you look at Israel and Judah, and God warned them time and time and time again. And he'd give them a second chance, a third chance. Finally, God got to the end of his discipline with Israel, and the Assyrians came in and destroyed them. The ten northern tribes, as we knew them earlier in Old Testament history, came to an end. They destroyed people, and then they brought in a bunch of uh, foreign people and planted them in that area, and they intermarried. And then by Jesus' day, you had the Samaritans. They were viewed as half-breeds. The, the ten northern tribes were basically done away with. Then what did God do with Judah? He warned Judah that just like he disciplined and finally judged Israel, he was going to do the same with them. Sent prophets to them, and I guess they didn't believe it. Or they presumed upon the mercy and grace of God, and they kept living lives disobediently and sowing to the flesh. What did God finally do? Brought Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in and, and hauled them off. 70 years of exile. And do you remember what one of the prophets said about Judah after that happened? And uh, he said it in relation to Israel. Do you remember what he said of Judah? That they were more guilty because Judah should have looked at her sister Israel, God said, what I did to Israel, and they should have learned a lesson, but they didn't. They're more guilty than Israel. You know, there may be people walking around today with AIDS in their body. They just don't know it yet. There may be families or couples in the church because of what's being done in the marriage and the home life. 
They just don't know it yet. It's headed for destruction. Again, this works in the positive. That's why I want to challenge you to dig into God's Word. Get into prayer. Get into sharing your faith. Get into serving the Lord. Start reading the Christian classics in your spare time along with your Bible reading. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first. Do that. And I want to challenge you what you will see happen in your life. Now it starts slowly. You won't see these things, you won't see these good things happen all at once. You, you get into disciplined Bible study and prayer and serving the Lord and living for the glory of God. You may not experience revival all of a sudden at once. But slowly over time, you're going to see a real difference in your life. You're going to look back over the course of the year and you're, you're going to see wonderful things that God's done in your life. Amen? Amen. So hang in there. Keep sowing seeds to the Spirit and see what God does in your life. Hosea 10, 12. Sow with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Isn't that a beautiful promise? <clears throat> you know, if you don't get into God's word and you don't practice spiritual disciplines in your life, you may never understand when somebody gets up before the church and maybe they testify to wonderful things God's doing in their life. And you just don't understand that. Because you've not been sowing to the Spirit. And until you do, you'll never understand what that person is getting up and testifying about. Principle five of the harvest. Don't prematurely give up. Look at verse nine. He says, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. The law of the harvest is given, I think, to both warn us and encourage us. Just like I've been saying tonight, it cuts both ways, negative and positive. Living for God's a joy. But you know, they're true. There are times it's discouraging. There's times it's disappointing because we get impatient, don't we? We don't always see things happen immediately. We don't see an immediate harvest. Sometimes you might be witnessing to somebody at work and you just feel like you're spinning your wheels. And everything you're doing for them to try to be a witness of Christ, it's like it's falling on deaf ears. And you might be tempted to give up. Again, why is that? Because we can expect things to be immediate. But what's Paul say? Keep at it. Don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. We need to remember we're like farmers. 
you know, the far, farmers, they prepare the soil. And then they plant. And then all season long, they may weed and water and they patiently have to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And then finally, they see a harvest. It's the same way in the Christian life. Being a faithful Christian may be hard work. It takes devotion. It takes discipline and diligence. Some grow weary. They want to quit. They lose heart. We need to remember 2 John 8. John says, watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. George Mueller, y'all remember George Mueller, right? The orphanages, he never advertised the needs for the orphanage. He would pray and trust God to provide. God always did. Well, George Mueller prayed for a neighbor month after month, year after year, that this particular neighbor would be converted. He faithfully prayed for that neighbor for 45 years. Would you pray for somebody's salvation for 45 years? He did. Do you know, never with his own eyes in this lifetime did he see his neighbor converted. But you know when the neighbor was converted? At George Mueller's funeral service. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give, don't give in. Don't grow weary. You know, there, there's an interesting story about the Chinese bamboo tree. You can go, you can go home and look up about it on your own. The, chi the Chinese plant the seed, they water it, fertilize it. For the first year, nothing happens. The second year, they repeat that same scenario. Water, fertilize, nothing happens. Third year, they repeat that same scenario. Fertilize, water, nothing happens. Fourth year, same thing. They water it, fertilize it. Nothing happens. But then all of a sudden, in the fifth year, it begins to sprout out of the ground. It grows three feet a day over five weeks. Becomes this huge, tall tree over 100 feet tall. within a period of five weeks, growing at a rate of three feet a day. For four years, nothing happened. You know, that's how God's work can be. 1 Corinthians 15.58, y'all memorize this verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I mean, think about those words. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that word abounding was, was used of a river that would over, overrun its banks in flood season. Abounding, not being stingy in your work. Abounding, being steadfast, immovable. Abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that your labor in the Lord will not be in vain. 
even if you don't see the results and see the harvest and see the reward of it in this lifetime, guess what? Based on the promise of God, you will see it one day. It may be heaven before you see it, but you'll see it one day. Verse 10, he says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. We're to do the right things toward, toward everybody, even the undeserving. Jesus said uh, to his disciples of the Pharisees, don't be like them. You know, they kind of operate on principle. You pat me on the back, I'll pat you on the back. Jesus said, that doesn't require any kind of faith. The natural man can do that. Jesus said, your righteousness has got to go further than that. You've even got to love and serve those who hate you and despise you and, and say evil things about you. John Wesley had a simple rule for his life. And, and folks, again, we're not talking about salvation. Salvation is by grace by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. But speaking of the Christian life here, after somebody comes to faith in Christ, John Wesley said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. It's a pretty good rule to live by, isn't it? He says, do good to people as long as we have the opportunity. That implies you may not always have the opportunity. I wonder how many children look back and think, you know, I, I meant to do some things for my parents. But they aged and died. And now they may look back with regrets. You may have been planning on establishing a relationship with a neighbor or a co-worker in the hopes of leading that person to faith in Christ. And you put it off and put it off. You get into the office one day and you get word. He had a massive heart attack last night and died. He says, as we have opportunity, we, we need to redeem the time, don't we? He's saying as we have opportunity, but we also need to Appreciate the opportunities that we have and redeem the time, right? Because the day may come, you don't have the same opportunity. <laughs> Notice what he goes on to say here. We're to do this especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Good deeds, missions, sowing love and kindness and peace and joy. It begins at home first. Begins in your home and in your church family. Right? Don't be willing to go everywhere else and live this way. And who was it? was uh, John Bunyan said of one of his characters in Pilgrim's Progress. He's a saint abroad and a devil at home. It begins at home. And it begins in the church family. The body of Christ is to take care of the body of Christ. 
just like we take care of our own body. You know, one thing that was so startling and so impressive about the early church, you read those early chapters in the book of Acts. You read Acts 2, for instance, or Acts 4. What do you notice about the early church, their relationship with one another? What do you notice about them? Boy, they sacrificially took care of one another, didn't they? Is it any wonder that the Scripture says the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved? It was a contagious fellowship. Let me give you some lessons tonight. Number one, you cannot get away with ignoring God's Word. God has an immutable, unchangeable law that no one will mock Him. You may think you're getting away with it. You're not. And you and I need to remember that. Secondly, there are consequences connected to the choices we make. And it works in the spiritual realm and in the worldly realm. Perhaps there are some consequences you're experiencing today. You could testify. Maybe you've been sowing to the wind and reaping the whirlwind, and it's, it's not pleasant. So there's consequences connected to the sowing that you do. A third thing. It's possible even for a Christian to sow to the flesh. Paul's writing here to Christians. And again, he's saying that those who, those who sow to the flesh as a way of life, that's all, that's their pattern. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. They've never been saved. But it's possible even for a Christian somewhere along the way at periods to sow to the flesh. You won't lose your salvation, but you're in danger of losing your marring, marring your testimony. And that's hard to get back. If you get it back. A fourth lesson. Remember to stay in the Christian race for the long haul. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Continue to invest in godliness. Continue to invest in the Christian community. Keep on keeping on. And you may not see the reward. You know, I think of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11 about those saints he's just written about. He says, they died without seeing the reward. But the point he goes on to make is, they did receive the reward. It was waiting for them on the other side. So even when you don't think it's making a difference, keep living the Christian life in a way to glorify God, sowing to the Spirit. And doing good to everybody as you have opportunity, especially to those in the household of faith. Keep on. Anything you want to add, maybe even by way of personal testimony, somebody, before we have our prayer time. Um, Mrs. 
thinking of Mrs. Cummings, she's a godly woman that everybody looked up to, but she suffered uh, in a, a hard marriage. For, uh, her husband was an alcoholic and uh, abusive, but uh, a lot of people couldn't, probably wouldn't put up with what was going on with. She, for 40 years, she prayed for his salvation. Can you imagine 40 years? And then he became a, a strong Christian. 40 years, and the uh, and the husband said it was because of her behavior, because of her godly behavior. And uh, I went to her uh, 100th birthday party, and the, uh, we thought the governor of the um, state would come and help celebrate, but he couldn't make it, so he sent a representative with a letter. And that was all good and fine, but what, what Mrs. Cummings, I'm sure, was even more grateful for was the fact that God allowed her to teach Sunday school at more than 100 years old. Can you imagine being a kid in her Sunday school class? That must have But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, just an amazing woman. And, uh, but she fits into that category. She didn't give up. Yeah. Kind of like a story I heard one time. A guy who he died at 105. Reporters got a hold of it and wanted to know the secret. Um, the reporter said, what, what was the secret of your, your dad's longevity? And the children said, you know, he lived right, lived a clean life, he didn't smoke and drink and didn't run around and corrals and all that kind of stuff. And, and the reporter said, well, my dad lived the same way, and he died at 57. They looked at him and said, he just didn't keep it up long enough. <laughs> you got to keep it up. Keep, keep sowing. Sowing to the Spirit. Any personal testimony of this? Maybe somebody you've seen at work what they were sowing and how the chickens came home to roost. You ever notice that? Again, that can work in a positive way too. Somebody that was very diligent and responsible and they were rewarded. I think most of us can testify that we're on the other end. We keep praying and praying and praying. Ain't nothing happening. Yeah. That's where... Sure.
Yeah. Of course, they're talking about an Eastern mysticism religion concept, but there's a there's a Christian version of that yeah, here, exactly. right? Yeah. yeah. It's all the same thing. You read what you sow. Yeah. And if you constantly go around and treat people bad, then you wonder why they were constantly going bad. Exactly. I kid you not, this literally happened, what I'm about to tell you, in my, my church before coming here. As soon as I got there, I mean, probably within days of when I got there, a man wanted to come see me. He said, uh, welcome here. Hope your ministry goes well. I'm leaving the church. <laughs> I said, why? He said, people here are so unfriendly. Nobody will talk to me or greet me. Can't find any friends. I said, tell me about that. I said, tell, tell me about your Sunday school class. Mm, I don't go to Sunday school. <laughs> tell me about a discipleship class or a men's ministry. No, I don't do any of that. Tell me about your worship. Um, your attendance here. Well, I, I, I come some. I don't come that much. I come some. I said, when, when you come, describe. He dropped his head. He said, I know what you're saying, and you're right. He said, my family and I come in late after the service has started. We come through the lobby to the back row. He said, we sit down. And we don't talk to anybody. And right before the service is over, we scoot out the door. <laughs> he said, you know what, you're, you're right. And I said, you know what, anywhere you go, if that's what you sow, that's what you will continue to reap. 